you say you're an introvert, right? It's almost like, how do you get your point across? How do you defend the design decisions that you make without making it seem like you're the loud Asian woman? I think it's a, it's almost like a delicate balance of being adaptable and also like being fully, like you seem like you know what you're talking about because you back them up with X, Y, Z, right? So it's, it's an interesting thing to kind of almost like a trial by fire mm. because you learn by being there and you adapt. Welcome to Fractional by Swarm. This is the podcast where we interview top fractional designers, engineers, makers, and builders. See how the best fractional workers carve their own path, complete their side quests, and passions in life. This is your gateway to living a successful fractional lifestyle. For today's guest, we have Angela Salud Chua. She's the founder of Trophynet Design Studio, an independent collective studio based in the Philippines. She has been designing products with tech leaders for over a decade, helping with ideation and strategy and building award-winning products that scale. In this episode of Fractional, we talk about fostering relationships and referrals, defending design decisions as a female Asian senior designer in Western teams, why doing unsolicited redesigns makes sense, creating a fun mix of projects as a fractional worker, choosing a non-work-centric life, tips for new freelancers, and so much more. Enjoy the episode. This is it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Fractional. Hi, Alexis. Thank you for having me. Can you please introduce yourself to everyone listening in? I'm Angela Saludjua. I am a product designer based in the Philippines. I have been doing product design work for more than a decade, uh, almost 14, 15 years, if that makes you happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And I think earlier when you were talking, you said that there was a point in time where you fully transitioned into working remotely or independently. Right. Can you talk about your journey going there? Yeah, because back then, uh, right out of right right out of college, it wasn't really common to do independent work directly. Uh, UX design, product design, mobile app design is was kind of in its infancy, so. It almost like it behooves you to just go into the corporate world and really try it out. And I'm glad I did. You know, you you learn stuff from people, being around people, being around teams. So I did that for like a couple of years, did the corporate stint, all, all while doing design work on the side. And, and I didn't want to give it up since college. And eventually there comes a point where you just think to yourself, okay, what do I actually like doing better between these two things? One of these two things would actually consume more time, and yet the other one is the one that's making you happy, and that is the design side, right? So I jumped the gun almost, and I just went fully independent. One thing people think about when they're at the phase where they decide that they want to jump the gun is, am I ready? For you, during that time, what made you sure that you were ready? I would say, like, I'm I'm very risk-averse as a person. So doing that transition was really difficult 
Not to mention like the pressure from family, from friends. Like, what are you going to do? You're in a stable job. Why would you leave that? Why would you just do something that would last a year or two, maybe at, at best, right? And it isn't really about being ready for me. It wasn't about being ready. I don't think you ever are ready, especially if there are also like financial aspects to consider, right? They say if you're a freelancer, you have to have six months or more of leeway in terms of what actually you would need financially to, to survive, right? So I don't think anyone can say they're really ready at any point in their life. So for me back then, it's just like, if I, if I were to do this, I, I just need to start somewhere. And if it fails, it fails. Talk about you starting out. Uh, it's weird, actually. I'm, I'm pretty self-taught. I, I didn't really go through school or formal product design teaching until much later in my career where like literally just do it on the side, right? But in school, I was studying marketing, business, mm. advertising, and then I would like have these little icon designs, uh, UI design projects on the side, and it wasn't really part of anything. It wasn't for school. It wasn't for any real client it was just a thought exercise almost and then eventually like people started reaching out oh can you make this for me can you make? and I, I like I don't do this as a job but okay sure but how, how did you feel when people started it was odd it's like are you sure because <laughs> <laughs> at, at some point like you always doubt your design skills like mm. that's a given no matter how far you are in your career you're always going to doubt your skills as a, as a designer like you feel like an imposter almost all the time right so especially very early on when it's your first client your second client and then somebody somebody bigger or established comes and asks you to do something for them for their business for their bread and butter and you're like are you sure mm. <laughs> so that's like it's almost like a learning process for me I started with Icon and UI. Mm. I started on like the Apple side, on the Mac side, and then eventually I just kind of learned as I went along. And you worked for an incredible portfolio of clients. Like I think you have Disney on your logo list, on your portfolio. Yeah, something. I would say like most of those are really just a network of people just kind of referring people to you left and right. And part of being like a freelancer or a fractional designer is really fostering those relationships because you never know like who's connected to who. And I think like, like as I, as I told you, right, I'm not, I'm not in the habit of really promoting my work, mm. promoting myself. I feel like I'm very low key as a person. And rarely would I be on Twitter or LinkedIn. Like, I post maybe once a year, yeah. twice a and year. And when you do, people go crazy. <laughs> Sorry. I <laughs> You're just so. posting again. <laughs> it's like, it's, I was very low-key as a person. And I feel like if I weren't, if I'm not able to really let the work do the talking through my clients, I wouldn't get the referrals. So I, I guess in a sense... It's always half luck, half skill, wherever you go. And it's really it's really that. And yeah, as, as I told you, right, it's really, as a low-key designer, it's an interesting mix because at the end of the day, you really have to promote your work to get more work in. And yet I don't do that. Mm, so mm. it's really, 
it's almost this self-fulfilling thing where you don't promote your work, so you get the next work and then you're immersed with it and then you can, you don't have time to promote the other work. So it's really just this cycle. So, yeah. What I remember from you just saying that is the concept of product-led growth, like in, in product design where you naturally attract users because the product is just so good. I think it's the same for, you know, your portfolio and the pieces of work. I, I hope so. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say so uh, necessarily. But I guess in some of the work that I've been doing, like for instance, Note Shelf, I have started working on Note Shelf since 2010. So mm, that's, that's literally 13 mm. years like of doing. It's been through three uh, versions by now. And three major versions and then more along the way, right? So it's really like, it's an, it's, I would say it's a semi-niche product. It's for students. It's for note-taking, handwritten notes specifically. So it's very niche. But that small niche, there's just really that product-led, almost like advocates for the product, even if like it's super not... fans. Yeah, right? it, it's not necessarily like number one in the store. Probably it's in the top five, but it's not like one or two. It's not backed by any, like... Uh, big guns, right? It's like an independent thing that started uh, in 2010. The developer was based in Japan, then Singapore, then eventually he built a team in India. And it's like, I, I watched it grow. And I would say that's also kind of my journey. I just let it go where it goes. And if it succeeds, great. If it doesn't, on to the next. I love the stoicism <laughs> <laughs> i know and uh the balance there and um considering you are risk averse right yeah like th there's a lot of dichotomies <laughs> in your I journey know. <laughs> um one thing that you brought up to me that you wanted to talk about was you being a unique perspective as an asian woman embedded in western teams yeah what are your thoughts on that? I would say, like, it's not... So, back in the corporate world, like, everybody's Filipino. One, two, maybe mixed, right? And then eventually, when I went independent, all of a sudden, like, everybody is, is a foreigner, right? So, it's almost like, initially, there's a culture shock. And then, eventually, there's a team culture shock. So, if you immerse yourself in in a team that's multicultural, then it's a, as, a, as a Filipino, you're a little more adaptable, right? We're, we're, almost, we're almost like bred to kind of blend in with people. And I think that's a good thing. But mixed with it being a woman, you're a designer. You're supposed to be a senior designer, a woman Asian senior designer. That, that gets a little complex, especially when you're, when you're with people who have loud voices in the room. Very charismatic people who hog all the attention. Yes. And you say you're an introvert, right? It's almost like, how do you get your point across? How do you defend the design decisions that you make without making it seem like you're the loud Asian woman? I think it's, a, it's almost like a delicate balance of being adaptable and also like being fully like you seem like you know what you're talking about because you back them up with xyz right so it's it's an interesting thing to kind of 
almost like a trial by fire mm. <laughs> because you learn by being there and you adapt. And you're an ambivert. You say that you adapt to the situation and you back it up by providing XYZ. What are those XYZs? What are the techniques or any practical tips for you know, women designers, especially here in the Philippines? I I told you earlier, like I'm, I tend to be a planner. I don't wing it when it comes to presenting designs. I rarely do I just send a Figma link and then here's something for your review and call it a day. I tend to do it almost like you tell your story from step one to whatever last step you have. So literally, you if I need to create a deck, I would. If I need to like record a loom, I would. And then I really like go through each step of the process. Even the rejected ones, I show them. And then I say why they are not working or why they might not work for the intended target audience. I, I tend to lay all my cards down at the table, to be honest. I, I recall one of the like one of the designers that I'd, I admire. He, he said, as an agency person, you're supposed to present one work that you like to defend. And for a time, I, wa- I wanted to believe that. And I wanted to think like I, I like you're you almost like believe in yourself too much that, OK, this is what I think. This is the one that I'll only present. But then I realized, how would they know what you don't like? What, how would they know what you don't recommend if you don't tell this if you don't make that part of your design story and that's one thing that i learned over the years is just present your thought process rather than your end result so that you kind of encompass the whole journey of your you take them through your process of discovery to your mocks to your design system if they're part of it they get more buy in i think so presenting a more balanced perspective by showing even the rejections or the things you don't like about what you did and the journey of each individual piece, right? And what how I interpret that is that it makes you more credible versus just presenting one thing. I'd like to think so. Yeah. Uh... I mean, it gets you the buy-in that you need, right? It, there, it's one thing to kind of say, oh, that won't work because mm. of this. Or that might give the wrong impression because of of, of something else, mm. right? But to actually they take your time to even prepare what they ask for and then say, okay, this is why this won't work. It's like, it, it gives a more compelling story of, it's not just a matter of the lack of time, or the waste of time to prepare something that won't work because it's already there. Like you can literally pick it up and, and put it push it off to engineering if you like. But it's a matter of comparing it side by side. These are the reasons why. And it I feel like it gives a more balanced perspective of how you want your decisions to be accepted. And you also shows it also shows that you care. Like you give a damn to a certain extent versus just like tossing it over the fence. I, yeah. So I, I told you earlier, right? Like I I work in a long-term setting. Like one of my, one of the businesses that I work with, Digi Valley, I've been working with them since basically I was in school almost. So it's been what, 14, 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> so 
it's like it's almost like a partnership built on trust at this point uh, and you don't kind of build that trust with doing half-baked work i would say so i think it cultivates relationships better if you're able to just do your work better but as i also mentioned to you like i'm i'm somebody who doesn't live and breathe design i remember one of your older roots podcast um dan mall was saying i'm not the type of designer who just literally talks about design day in and day out and he said it's actually a means to an end for me and that i think over the pandemic that really resonated with me in a sense that I don't think I am like on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram. My Instagram is like very personal. It's not design related at all. And because I'm not the type of person who has become my work. And I'm glad that I, I, I didn't become my work. But I also am glad that I kind of compartmentalize the personal life, the design life, the career life. Right? It feels very non burning out kind mm. and i'm glad that it has i guess it has fallen that way if I that see. makes sense yeah it makes sense i think that's what we want to promote like people aren't their work like people have different facets to themselves like a person is very complex we are multi-hyphenated to a certain extent and we can't just present this one side of ourselves or live that out to the max or maybe to an extent some people some designers are just really like they're actively promoting their work they're actively promoting themselves and that's all well and good right Mm. because that's how you you get work but also maybe it has something something to do with the expectation versus reality aspect of it where where what you see on social media isn't necessarily 100% true so maybe it's it's kind of true also for career-wise. Like, what do you mean? Like, what you see isn't... Necessarily it. So, yeah. just the typical so- social media Gen Z stuff, right? Mm. Uh, it's it's almost like a highlight reel of your life. Mm. And I guess to the same extent, maybe designers are also kind of feeling that same pressure to put out the highlight reel of their work. And that's kind of intimidating daunting right it's Mm. like where do i start and maybe that's also something that would prove challenging for especially early designers like what do you what do i put what case study is one thing and then now you gotta make a reel of your work (laughs) 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 it's it's like too much right so what do you think is the alternative or is there an alternative uh I, I don't think I'm like in the perfect position to to say what the alternative would be because like I said, like I don't really mm. promote a lot of things. But I would say I like how other people are just popping in and out sometimes and not necessarily becoming like this voice of design and really just sharing your work, sharing your story, not being like, the teacher of all teachers, I feel mm. like that is maybe more foolproof than being... The influencer. Yeah, the, the design influencer. Is <laughs> like that whatever a thing? they say is yeah. the correct way it's forever. Like, <laughs> here's a thread of why yeah. this is so. So I feel like if you share your work from time to time, it's really your story and nothing could 
no one could say, that's not right because that's your story. What's particularly challenging for you, like in your, your own thread of your, your story? Okay, this is interesting. I, I've always been semi-workaholic, even if I'm like in my own bubble. Mm. And then there comes a time in your life as you get older that you get a family, right? And then things change, priorities change. And I, I kind of thought that I would handle it a lot worse than I did because I wanted to work. Like I wanted to work every day and then suddenly some something's taking you out of it, right? So I like to say the challenging part was kind of not being just a soul designer anymore. It's really just balancing real life now. And it's kind of good. It's 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 Working exhausting. Out in the pandemic, yeah. <laughs> managing your daughter's birthday right? parties. I know. <laughs> it's exhausting, but it's like, oh, I can do multiple things. Mm, <laughs> it's mm. it's nice too. How do you feel about it? N- nothing's easy, but it I, you can manage. Like it takes a village, admittedly. It's not like I'm I'm one person design team for mm. the many businesses that I work with. There are a lot of people inside are actually doing so much work, mm. so much good work as well. So it takes a village at work. It takes a village for your personal life too. And blending those two together once you've reached a point is, it feels satisfying. And then over time, I hope it also like manifests that you're healthier Mm. Your mental state is healthier and it, it manifests both ways, you know? Yeah, that's always the goal. I, I'm not saying like that's me, <laughs> that I've met that it's goal. Always it's the, always the like a ongoing challenge. moving target. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, one thing I'm curious about, because Angela, you've been in the industry for a long... <laughs> I'm sorry, a long time. But... What do you think is maybe one thing that early stage independent people don't do that comes naturally to you? I used to like really do work that nobody asks for. And some early stage designers, I'm not sure if that's still a thing. The redesign of X, this is how I would do it. It's just some things that you want to do to redesign, to rethink, because it bothers you. Like, you can't sleep at night. It bothers you. You take, like, a 30 minutes to an hour of your day to just fix something that nobody needs to see. But you, it makes you happy. And then eventually, if you get time, share it. And then eventually you kind of learn through those redesigns why the original designs were done a certain <laughs> way. <laughs> and I the think that's fine. Redesigns. The unsolicited yeah. redesigns. Or sometimes maybe your idea works great and mm. you land like a client or two or maybe even a full-time job through that and that's fine. I feel like there are so many things that are on early portfolios now that are uh, real projects or at least like case studies of real things that they have done but there are also those side projects that I, I kind of am interested in seeing from people just to showcase what what ticks them off, you know? Mm. Like if mm. the if something is bothering you about an app that you use day in and day out, 
and you took the time to actually rethink it from a product perspective and you tell your story accordingly, I feel like that resonates, to me at least, it mm. resonates with me more than like a hundred case studies, right? I see. I like the balanced um, portfolio. Yeah. Where it's a mix of real work and side projects that display your character. Yes. Like your quirks when you're inside digging in, yeah. designing the thing. Um, I think the the redesign um, approach... It was frowned upon for a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's healthy. Like, if it doesn't hurt anybody, like, let them frown. Because, <laughs> mm, mm. like, people will say, oh, do you even know... The constraints. The, yeah, constraints, context, <laughs> business goals associated with the design like you're just designing out of thin air but you still get benefits from doing the thing and doing the exercise right it's almost like a learning experience for you it's a project that you're doing for yourself it's not necessarily to say to a certain business that oh you did it the wrong way it's just your experience right and, and as i mentioned earlier if you're ex- if it's your experience and how could it be wrong Mm. So if you're just telling your perspective and you're not like being the influencer. (laughs) (laughs) Those are influencers. (laughs) Right? Mm. So that's, to me, that's healthy at least. I see. What are you learning recently? Or how do you feel about the recent rise of AI? Or, yeah, in general, what have you been learning recently? Uh, I've been working like on on a ton of different things over the past year, uh, aside from the, the, the big chunks of work that I do on a day and daily basis, I also have this almost like rotating set of things that I, I work on, uh, from Webflow projects to a, a small app about organizing your closet. It's really like a mix of fun things. I would say like 30% of what I do, I want, I want to keep it an interesting mix of things that you would you wouldn't normally get a chance to work on if you were not a fractional practitioner if you were at an agency maybe because like you get touched on different industries but if you were in a startup in a corporate setting your day in and day out you're fo- you're so focused you're you're so engrossed in in whatever it is you're doing and I find that it's interesting that I almost get to mix the learnings from all of the businesses that I work with and kind of unintentionally apply them to the other things that I work on. What's an example of that? So one example was like early in the pandemic, I was researching, I was working on a Gen Z, a a kind of a not so successful Gen Z project that later on I kind of pulled from when making the a, a newer upcoming version of of note shelf 3 it, and we realized that this app is really not targeting young professionals or millennials anymore it's not the working class anymore it's really like aiming for the students who are in the more gen z space and the learnings that we got from there there's almost like inter, like mingling it and just meshing it together and it all makes sense you mm. know and it wouldn't normally happen organically, I would say, had I not pulled from like a year and a half ago <laughs> of stuff that I learned. We always so, mention year, years, thanks. decades in this conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's all good. <laughs> okay. Um, so 
what are you looking forward to? Uh, earlier, I mentioned to you, like, over the past month, I've been wanting to have, like, some downtimes, right? And <laughs> you were laughing because downtime day would still have your laptop with you and just being, like, a nomad worker, it is what it is. But I'm looking forward to having a more, of a more non-work-centric life, if that makes sense. I what, what does that mean in your mind or, like, in your perspective? Uh... As a freelancer initially and then like fractional employee later on or like this this kind of compartmentalized life that I guess is the goal for other people, right? But at the end of the day, you still feel a little, uh, you're overwhelmed with stuff that you need to think about, things you need to finish. And it's almost like as you get older, <laughs> you feel like, <laughs> How how much more runway of work do I want to, to have? And how soon do I actually have some personal time that doesn't involve work? And I think that's what, what, something that I've been realizing over the years is I want to have that active decision in having downtimes, not because you don't want to work, but because you just want to take a breather so that you can come back refreshed to your work. This, and, and I hope that kind of makes sense because I haven't really like put it into practice, mm. but that's the goal. It's okay. We'll keep you accountable. <laughs> like, we'll check your Instagram um, and people will see. <laughs> is she working on practice? Why is Probably. she in the coffee shop? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we've covered a lot, Angela, and my last question for you is, What's your advice to the fractional freelancers, the independents, and the makers listening to you right now? I think it's also practicing talking to people about your work and presenting your work as if it were a pitch to to a business, as if they haven't bought in yet. I feel like that's that's a skill that you can cultivate over time because if you're if you're able to articulate your work, articulate the design decisions that you make based on business parameters, right? I think that is something that not every designer, not everyone who knows Figma would be able to do because that's an extra skill that you're able to actually present your work from start to finish. That is something a fractional person will be able to to succeed in if if that person is able to do that. So if you're able to kind of handhold your 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 client, your the business that you're working with from the start and actually just walk them through the process, I think that's a better story to tell. What's one way to be more articulate about your work? Some people thrive in like an oral discussion. And then some people do better in writing. So I think whatever is comfortable for the person, that's what he should go with. Not to say that you shouldn't practice the other thing, but 
and and then in the end or as time goes by i feel like you're able to blend it more as, as as you practice right so back in school you're you're either good in written tests or you're good in oral tests right or there are some people who are annoyingly good at both <laughs> <laughs> are you are you the annoying i have no type? comment <laughs> <laughs> So okay, I think like annoyingly <laughs> over time, well. just keep practicing to real people, to real clients, to real work, right? And your unsolicited designs. And I think it gets better from there. It's really not a matter of being right all the time. Like everybody knows everybody fails. Like I have failed so many times. There are many projects that I've worked on that have failed and that's fine. That's the, that's, that's how the cookie crumbles. So that's fine. And one thing also that I think I've learned over the years is working with designers like Miramark, like Francis. Uh, yeah, Gabe. shout out. Yeah, <laughs> it's really like it's fine to ask stuff and to say you don't know when you don't know. And even for me, like when I'm asked something and I say, I don't know that, let me check. And I feel like that's even better than saying that, like pretending that you know everything. And I say making mistakes is is fine and it's how you learn. So that's that's good. All right, you heard it here, folks. Um, very assuring advice from Angela, our Ate for the Filipinas <laughs> in the design world and you know, one of the preeminent independent fractional workers here. Thank you for joining us on Fractional. Thank you, Alexis, and it's great to be on your new podcast. Yes. And <laughs> Sign up for smart. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye, Angela. Bye.